All right, quick quiz. Okay, quick quiz. Um, heavy metal or Revelation? Don't yell it out. Don't yell it out. Just whisper to the, your neighbor. Is this heavy metal or is this Revelation? On through the dead of night with the four horsemen ride or choose your fate and die. Time has taken its toll on you, the lines that crack your face. Famine, your body, it is torn through, withered in every place. Pestilence for what you have to endure and what you have put others through. So just whisper to your neighbor, is that heavy metal or is that the book of Revelation? You decide... All right, that is heavy metal. That's Metallica. Uh, they have a song called The Four Horsemen, and it's off their album, Kill Em All. So uh, grace and peace to you this morning. I trust that was a blessing. And uh, All right, next one. Next slide. All right, heavy metal or the book of Revelation? The kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, slave and free, hide in caves, among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us. Revelation or heavy metal... That's the book of Revelation. That's chapter six. Lovely. All right, the next one. The sky is turning red. Return to power draws near. Fall into me. The sky's crimson tears abolish the rules made of stone. Book of Revelation or heavy metal. Heavy metal, that's the band Slayer. So there you go. That's uh, from the song Rain in Blood by the, off, off the album Rain in Blood. So there you go. Doubled up there. All right, last one. Uh, uh, I have become a brother of jackals, a companion of owls. My skin grows black and peels. My body burns with fever. My lyre is turned to mourning and my pipe to the sound of wailing. Book of Revelation or heavy metal? You guys are three weeks in. You should, you should have known all this stuff. Sam's going to start the whole series all over again. Uh, that's from the book of Job. So that's just me messing, messing with your head. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's from the book of Job. So uh, there you go. Uh, all right, let's get into it. I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs, uh, kind of summary, just to, again, doubly ensure that we're kind of all on the same page. Uh, so I'll read a little bit, and then we'll, we'll get more preachy after that. So Revelation. Uh, the book of Revelation is pastoral, prophetic, and apocalyptic. Revelation is pastoral. One letter sent to seven churches written to particular people facing particular issues and with a particular message. Revelation promises that faithfulness will be rewarded. Justice will be given to those who are oppressed. Oppressors will be judged. God's kingdom will come. His will will be done on earth as in heaven. Those who are faithful to Jesus will, in the restoration of all things, be restored to the priestly role of image bearers that they were created to be. Faithful representatives and worshippers of God. There will be no more tears. Uh, heaven and earth will be wholly united, and the dwelling place of God will once again be with humanity. Right, so Revelation is pastoral. And we go, yes, 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 amen to all of that. This is, this is this pastoral message of Revelation. All right, Revelation is prophetic. It's prophetic in that it calls uh, Christians to renewed faithfulness. I know Sam's covered this. Prophecy normally is, this is what your future will look like if you walk this path. But this is what your future could look like if you walk this path. So choose carefully today which way you're going to go. Prophecy is a lot more about choosing wisdom today for the sake of tomorrow rather than forecasting future events. So it's prophetic in that it's calling Christians to renewed faithfulness in God and to live as faithful witnesses to the one who is the faithful witness. Uh, Christ was the, is the faithfulness, uh, faithful witness who, who stayed true to the things of God, true to the call of God, true to all that uh, God had laid on his life right through to the cross. And he's the ultimate faithful witness, and we are to bear faithful witness to him. 
Christians who are being persecuted and who are suffering under the Roman uh, oppression of the Roman Empire, and also Christians who are prospering through compromise and inappropriate allegiance to the Roman Empire. Both are being called to faithfulness and fidelity. They were to reject the lordship of Caesar, the temporary empire of Rome, and the cult of emperor worship that comes with it. Hold fast, hold fast, hold fast, inherit the kingdom of God. So it's prophetic in that sense. And then it's apocalyptic. So it's pastoral, prophetic, and apocalyptic. Uh, Revelation is apocalyptic, an unveiling of heaven's perspective on earthly realities. John's revelation is a vision offering a heavenly perspective on the actualities of life in John's cultural context. Uh, the word apocalypto uh, is the Greek word, apocalypto, and we translate that either to apocalypse or to revelation. So sometimes in some Bibles it'll be called the book of the apocalypse, and others it'll be called the book of revelation. Apocalypse doesn't mean like in, you know, in, the, in the X-Men movies, like the end of days and it's all blown up. Apocalypse or revelation is to see something from the perspective of heaven. It's to lift the veil, to reveal. It's to do with seeing things from the divine rather than the earthly perspective. Apocalyptic literature uses bizarre and unusual imagery in order to shake the reader up and force them to see things in a new light. Uh, we're going to look at some of that apocalyptic imagery this morning, the beast and the little beast and the, the dragon and the horns and what's going on there. We'll, we'll look at it a little bit. But it's using bizarre imagery to shake the reader up and to get them to see things from a different perspective. Uh, in a manner that might otherwise not be apparent. Uh, the Matrix is kind of an apocalyptic movie. If you can remember that, I know it's like 25 years ago, a bit longer than that. I took my son to the, like, the 25-year anniversary, uh, and I was like, whoa, man, now he's getting to watch it. But if you remember The Matrix, I went to The Matrix on like a Friday night, and then I went back on a Saturday night to watch it, because it just blew my mind. Like The special effects were phenomenal at the time, and in that moment, and the soundtrack was phenomenal as well. But the concept of the movie that we're living our lives plugged into a machine, not paying attention to the world around us, missing out on things, skipping over things. Are you going to take the red pill or the blue pill? You know, you want to see how far this rabbit hole goes kind of thing. Uh, the whole intent of the movie, it used bizarre imagery in a movie, in a cinema, to challenge us in regard to our very real lives that we're living out here and there. It's like, man, Am I just going through the motions? Am I plugged in? Am I, what am I going to do with my life kind of thing? And I just love that. So the Matrix is a kind of apocalyptic. And you wouldn't, you know, I could have sat down with a teacher at school and, you know, Macaulay, you really need to pay attention. It's like, oh, whatever. But you watch the Matrix, he's like, oh, I really need to pay attention kind of thing. It's like it, it shakes you up to see things in a manner that you might not have otherwise seen. And that's what revelation is doing. Dragons and beasts in the sea and chaos. Because, you know, we could say the Roman Empire is bad. It's like, oh, yeah, I know. Talk about it being a beast that comes out of the sea. It's like, oh, yeah, we've got to pay attention to this kind of thing. So th that's what's going on. All right, roughly speaking, uh, chapters 6 through to 19, a commentary on the Roman Empire. Because it's Scripture, they can, they, we can then use them as a commentary on most empires, but we, we start understanding it's a commentary on the Roman Empire. Empires are inherently evil, only ever temporary. Uh, they exist in contrast to the e eternal kingdom of God. A city whose gates will never be shut and where all will be made well. I've heard either Sam or Sean mention it. You can go to Italy, you can go to Rome, you can visit the crumbling rocks of the empire. It is no longer with us. The church of God, 
has spread throughout the earth, the kingdom of God invading here, there, and everywhere. The gates of hell will, will not prevail against it. It's the kingdom of God that is eternal, no empire. Uh, so Revelation uses all sorts of fantastic imagery to tell this story. Uh, here we've got the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, allow me to quote Metallica again. Um, horsemen are drawing nearer. On leather steeds they ride. They've come to take your life. On through the dead of night. With the four horsemen ride or choose your fate and die. Pestilence for what you have to endure and what you have put others through. And then kind of on and on it goes this Metallica song. I think it's what they call scripture and song. I've never been a worship, I'm not a worship leader guy, so I'm not, I'm not sure. But we have this idea in, we have this idea in Romans 6. So we get this imagery of these, these four horses. Uh, it talks about seals being broken and judgment being poured out. And the, these horsemen wreaking havoc on the earth. Uh, they're symbolic of some pictures we see of the Lord's horsemen in Zechariah chapter 1, who, are, who go throughout the earth um, declaring the judgment of God throughout the earth kind of thing. So there's symbolism that, that is picked up here in the book of uh, Revelation. I'm not sure what Metallica thought they were singing about. Uh, I'm not sure what Metallica fans thought they were headbanging about. I, I don't know. I don't know how much theology the old Metallica fan has done. Um, but, but what's going on is essentially this. Uh, the four riders, the colored horses, they're bringing destruction. Uh, the, the, the picture of it is to underscore the temporary nature of the Roman Empire. The, the empire will collapse. Judgment will come. Uh, one of the images is that of a white horse with an archer uh, as a, on the back with a bow and arrow. Uh, these are uh, Parthians who were an unconquered people and a major threat to the Roman Empire. There was a couple of unconquered people. There was these guys the Parthians that rode white horses and, and did archery. There was another village up on the coast with a guy called Asterix and another guy called Obelix. They were unconquered as well. But these are the Parthians. And uh, they were a major threat to the Roman Empire. Uh, archers who rode on white horses. The only, the only known mounted archers in that time of history. The only, the only people that had horsemen that, that used bow and arrow in that point in history. Uh, and the imagery is to help people see, the, oh, these, everyone knows these are a threat to the Roman Empire. These unconquered people are a threat to the Roman Empire. The point wasn't that Parthia is going to come and conquer the Roman Empire, now they'll be in charge of everything. Simply that empire would collapse. Four seals, four judgments on Rome, invasion, conquest, famine, pestilence, plague, death. Those are all the things that happen with war. And if, sadly, unfortunately, we're seeing some of this in Ukraine at the moment. Um, but, the, but inherent to war and destruction, particularly in a first century context, uh, conquest, famine, pestilence, plague, death, that is what comes with battle and, and corpses and dead horses and flies and disease and these kinds of things. It's a picture of judgment, the fall of the Roman Empire. All empires that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God are destined to crumble in some way, shape, or form. But the kingdom of God will triumph. Kingdom of justice, righteousness, love, and peace. So good on Metallica. Thanks for that. But there's the, there's the four horsemen. Which brings us up to Revelation chapter 3. If you've got your Bible, uh, 13, Revelation chapter 13. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 13. That kind of brings us all to be on the same page, I hope, um, a little bit. And we're going to have a look at the mark of the beast which I know is what you've all been waiting for. Sam's like, we're going to do a series on Revelation. And you're like, week number one. And he didn't talk about the mark of the beast. <laughs> I don't know. If I can, okay, I'll come next week. Week number two. He still hasn't talked. Oh, they've got a guest speaker in, Sean. Surely Sean will cover the mark of the beast. So here we go. Finally, the mark of the beast. What does that even mean? 
Nobody knows, but it's provocative. Gets the people going. You'd have to know the movie to know what I'm talking about there. If you don't know the movie, I won't unpack the movie, but there you go. All right, Revelation chapter 13, uh, verse 1 to 3. The dragon stood on the sea, on the shore of the sea. The dragon is a picture of ultimate evil that exists behind all things. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with, a, with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and the mouth of that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and his great authority. So John's borrowing from the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. Uh, Daniel sees four beasts. He talks of uh, one like a lion, one like a bear, one like a leopard, and then one that was more terrifying than all the others. Uh, these beasts in Daniel, they, they represent the successive empires with whom Israel has toiled. Uh, so you've got the Babylonian Empire, the Median Empire, the Persian Empire, and then Alexander's Macedonian Empire, what we would call the Greek Empire, uh, the most terrifying of all. In Daniel's time, the Greek Empire was the most terrifying of all these people that come in and conquer and displace and, and kidnap and enslave people and, and, and all those kinds of things. In John's vision, John's vision is of a beast that brings together all of those beasts as one beast. Uh, he's, he's likening the, the, it's this conglomerate of all the other empires. It's to, to point to the, the great evil of the Roman Empire. It's like all of those empires put together. That's how evil, that's how bad, that's how, that's how destructive this empire is. Uh, seven heads represent, there were seven successive emperors by the time that, Rome, uh, that John writes. Rome's built on seven hills. Uh, the ten horns with crowns, there was separate regional powers that each have, had authority to govern on behalf of the Roman Empire. So there's all this imagery to paint a picture of the, the, the totality of the Roman Empire, the, the oppression of the Roman Empire, how evil and destructive and, and sinful the Roman Empire. And, and there's this dragon behind it, this picture of ultimate evil behind the Roman Empire. Uh, the beast is a symbol of evil empire. It comes from the sea. The sea is always, in ancient literature, a picture of chaos and destruction. Chaos and destruction. So later in Revelation where it talks about there'll be no more sea, it's not like, eh, there's no more oceans, they're all dried up. That's unusual. No, no, it's symbolic. There's no more place of chaos and death and confusion. Things have been put right, made whole, come together. Uh, one, of the, one of the heads of the beast, uh, one of these emperors, seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. Uh, Emperor Nero was faint, fatally wounded, and, and he did die. He did, he did pass away as a result of his wound. But it's not the death of the empire. The empire keeps on rolling on, keeps on rolling on. Somebody, One of the leaders was wounded, died, passed away. New leader comes through. The empire just rolls on this machine and does its thing. The beast is healed and continues on. Uh, Revelation chapter 13, 3 and 4. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. And its military might. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. They also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? Uh, I think it was Sean last week talking about the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Uh, Rome was known to have brought peace on earth and goodwill to all mankind. You can't push back against the Roman Empire. You can't critique it. You can't do anything. You'll get your head chopped off. 
but look how peaceful it all is kind of thing. It's like, yeah, who loves the, who doesn't love the Roman Empire? You know, the first person, I don't like it, head chopped off. Who loves the Roman Empire? Every other person in the world, we love it. It's our favorite. We want to be a part of it forever. So the, the, the peace on earth is this false peace. The Pax Romana, how is it enforced? It's enforced by the military might of the Roman Empire. Who can wage war against it? No one. They wipe us out. We love the Roman Empire. Thank you for coming. You're our favorite. And, and you don't say anything else. And there's crosses that would, I mean, we have the crucifixion of Christ, but there's other occasions throughout Roman history where there's crosses lining the roads from one city to another of uh, uh, Maccabees and others who had tried to fight against the Roman Empire. So no, we've come to bring peace. Here, we'll crucify all of you, kind of. Kind of deal. Uh, look how powerful the army is. Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? It's a parody of faithful worship to God. In Psalm, uh, Psalm 86, the psalmist declares, who is like our God? There is no other. And here we have this kind of false call, this parody, this, this unfaithful kind of worship. There's this, there's this mocking kind of thing happening here. Uh, Revelation 13 carries on and the beast does what beasts do. Uh, an empire that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. It's destructive. It's totalitarian empire. It takes things over. It robs. It steals. It kills. Destroys. But like every empire, it only has an allotted time. It will not last forever. Uh, verse 11, John sees a second beast. There's the second beast. Uh, the, the second beast, scholars', scholars understanding of the second beast is that it represents the cult of empire or the cult of the emperor. So, so the Roman Empire was not just a state, not just a, what would you say? The, the Roman Empire is not a secular state or a secular form of governance. Re- religion and governance are overlapped. The emperor is recognized to be the son of the gods. The emperor is recognized to be the son of gods. Uh, by being made emperor, he is made divine. And people are to declare that Caesar is Lord. People are to worship Caesar. There's this cult of empire, all this propaganda about uh, the emperor. What did they say? They said things like Caesar is the one who has brought peace on earth and goodwill to all. We're more familiar with that and talking about, don't they say that about something else, not Caesar? It's like, yeah, yeah, that's why when they said that about Jesus, people didn't like that and you get in trouble because it was very subversive. You weren't allowed to say that. the propaganda, there's, there's, every empire has propaganda, props up the war machine. Look how good your lives are. We're so much better now that we've come. You know, everything's going to be better for you now. It's not, but you can't say anything. You're head chopped off. So propaganda that props it up. Uh, the Greek word euangelion, uh, the Greek word euangelion is, we translate in the English to gospel. It's the gospel, gospel, euangelion is gospel. Uh, it means good news or, or news that brings great joy. Christian writers uh, uh, they stole that word off the Roman Empire, essentially. Euangelion was, was an announcement that, uh, of good news that the Caesar had brought. So you'd be at the marketplace and a herald would come, Euangelion, Euangelion, good news, uh, news that brings great joy. Caesar has been successful against the barbarians, kind of thing. And everyone would be delighted and clapped. This was the good news of the empire, the good news that had been brought, except for that little village. Aside from that, though, Caesar has conquered. Euangelion, good news, glad tidings. All of these kinds of things. And that, that's gospel. The gospel was originally associated with the good news of Caesar having conquered another person, uh, conquered another people group, 
conquered another city. Um, brought, there was a rebellion, an uprising. He's brought peace there, killed the whole lot. Now there's peace kind of thing. So this is this, we get this news. So when people start referring to the good news of the kingdom of God, ooh, that's very subversive and dangerous. And if you proclaim that, you could end up on a cross maybe one day. I don't know how that goes, but maybe we can see in other parts of the Bible that it does. Um, so this is happening. Every empire has propaganda propping it up. Uh, verse 13, the second beast does signs and wonders. Uh, numerous uh, sources, historians tell us of occasions when um, the priests of the cult of empire would set up uh, displays or theater in, in local cities, and there'd be, there'd be healings, and there would be machines that moved miraculously, and there'd be fire that shot out kind of thing. Well, it's all a stage show. It's all a production. It's all something that these priests have put together to wow the people and impress the people. Moving statues, fire using machines and contraptions and actors and, and things like that. Again, no surprise to John's audience. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus warns that false prophets would perform false signs. Uh, and maybe we don't realize that's as literal as, yeah, yeah, the priests of the Roman Empire would do false productions to woo the people and, and to the propaganda to call them into empire. Verse 15, some Christians were persecuted and killed for not giving divine honors to the emperor, for refusing to worship the beast, for not bowing down to Rome and the religious rule of Rome. All right, here we go. Revelation 13, 16 to 18. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and safe, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. So they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. This calls for wisdom. Uh, a lot of work done around Revelation without any wisdom whatsoever. You guys are lucky to have been in a, in a church context where everything that you've been receiving over these last three weeks have been brought with careful attention and wisdom. This calls for wisdom. The clue's there in the text. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. The number is 666. It feels like you have to say it like that. It feels like it wouldn't be... It wouldn't, you can't just go 666. It, would, it didn't. 666. What does it even mean? Nobody knows, but it's provocative. All right. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, uh, Hebrews uh, 666. It's a construction of a Hebrew uh, gematria. So all Hebrew words have numbers allocated to them. Uh, our English letters don't. I mean, we do 1 through to 26. You know, but that's because A's first and Z is last, or Z's last, depending on how you speak your Z's or Z's. But not there's numbers associated with with Hebrew letters, and numbers in ancient context have all sorts of meaning and significance, and they play on words, and you want to pay attention to the numbers and and these kinds of things. Uh, in Hebrew, so you've got Neron Caesar, which in Hebrew is written. I don't, I don't speak Hebrew, but Neron Klus is in Hebrew. I did Greek, and I don't speak Greek, so there you go. Neron Caesar, Nun, Resh, Vav, Nun, Quoth, Smeke, and Resh again. And if you put them together, adds up to 666. It, it's, a, it's, it's all happening. That's all that's happening there. The mark is a, a symbolic picture or pointing to this evil Caesar called Nero. But as well in first century Roman culture, the things that clever people would do would be also try to make a nickname up for these famous rulers, that also added up to the same number. 
So with Caesar, you, I, don't know what, I don't know what Caesar looked like. The, you, know, you could probably find a picture of, Nero, of Nero, Caesar Nero. You can probably find a little statue because they like to make statues or something. But uh, maybe he had a really pointy nose. I don't know. And so someone out in the street is like, ooh, can, pointy nose. Let's call him pointy nose. And then they add up the numbers. It's like, yeah, we can only get 665 or 667. We can't quite, can't quite nail it. So that wouldn't become the nickname because you couldn't quite. They, they were clever. They, they wanted to match up the words. Um, But what they did, they came up with a nickname for Caesar, for Nero, called He Killed His Mother, which adds up to 666 as well. It's a clever play on words. Uh, Because Caesar was, uh, Nero was a nasty, nasty guy. Um, He killed his mother. He kicked his pregnant wife to death. He uh, had countless rivals executed. Caesar Nero is one of the most evil of all the Caesars. He killed his mother. That adds up to 666. So, you know, these clever people are graffitiing and doing different stuff. It's like there's, there's this play on words happening. Why? why? What's, what's the point? What John's doing is personifying all of this evil empire that we've seen in the picture of a beast with a dragon behind it and seven heads that are the conglomerate of all of the evil empires that we've faced before. So we kind of we zoom outwards that way to go, man, this Roman empire is evil. Zooms out that way. But then it kind of brings it in real narrow on the other side to go, and we could, we could, who could we personify all of that great, great evil in? Oh, have a think about Nero. Nero. Nero does a pretty good job as personifying all that's evil. Kicks his mother to death, uh, kills his mother, kicks his pregnant wife to death, has all of his rivals executed. Yeah, that definitely adds up to evil. <laughs> like, so it's kind of personified in this picture of Nero. John's vision pictures the Roman Empire as a great beast, then personifies it in one of their most evil emperors. Uh, what the empire enforced was allegiance and alliance to Caesar, to worship Caesar, such that to buy and sell and trade, you had to declare that Caesar is Lord. So everywhere around the empire, you've got statues of Caesar. Uh, marketplaces, you've got statues of Caesar. Entrance to temples in different places, you've got statues dedicated to Caesar kind of thing. And to get in, you had to bow your head or declare that Caesar is Lord or to pay homage. And, and there's a few festivals each year where you had to make a sacrifice and walk through and the Roman officials would observe you saying Caesar is Lord and tick you off for, for another, another year kind of thing. So there's all these ways that you had to bow down to Caesar. And if you wanted to, if you didn't do that, Made it hard, very hard to get into the marketplaces. Made it very hard to get into the temple. Temples, temples were places of worship, but temples were also a place where business was conducted, where relationships were built, where you'd, you'd, you'd come up with agreements on terms for this and that and the other thing. It's kind of like, well, it's not really like Facebook of the ancient world, but the, the temple was a social hub as well. But to get, you've got to declare Caesar as Lord and worship these other gods. But we've got these Christian people, these Christ followers that, no, we're only going to declare that Jesus is Lord. And suddenly they're disqualified from entering those places, engaging in the economy, doing the trade that they would like to do. You had to be marked by the beast, marked by the emperor to to engage. How would you be marked? You'd be marked by bowing your head, declaring Caesar as Lord, that your head and your hands, your heart, affection was towards Caesar. And these Christian people refused to do that. Thus, to declare Caesar as Lord rather than Christ was to be symbolically, not literally, but symbolically marked on one's head, your affections, your intellect directed towards Caesar. To be marked on one's hands as being of the kingdom of Caesar. 
those whose lives are intertwined with evil empire. Their affections and actions will be marked by an allegiance worship of this beastly empire. And John's writing to these seven churches saying, don't go down that path. Don't be those ones. Don't compromise. Remain faithful. Hold, st- hold fast to your fidelity. Christ alone is Lord. Worship Christ alone. Uh, stay faithful. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Don't be marked by your affections and allegiance being towards the Roman Empire. Instead, remain faithful witnesses. Uh, I think on the next slide, I re- the mark of the beast. Far from being some future conspiracy, is an antitype to the mark of the saints seen in Revelation 7 and Revelation 14. The servants of God are sealed in their foreheads. Those with the Lamb had the Father's name written on their foreheads. Revelation is a vision of imagery in order to reveal something true, but in this case, not something literal, something true. You are marked of God via your devotion and faithfulness and action in life, not via a Jesus tattoo. Marked of the beast, you're marked of the beast via unholy devotion to an ungodly empire. It's not a computer chip or a vaccine or a credit card number or any other hodgepodge conspiracy theory. To be marked of God is to not have a Jesus tattoo. To be marked of God is to be marked by one's character and one's love for one another, and one's, uh, the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. To be marked of God is to be marked by love, joy, peace. That's the seal. That's the seal on our forehead. That's the name that's written on us. You can, that person, they, they overflow with something of Christ bursting out of them to be marked. To be marked by the beast is to be marked by unholy allegiance to empire. Not a microchip. Unholy allegiance to him. I'm not saying you need to get a microchip if they come out in the next 10 years. I don't know. They're just not the mark of the beast. To be marked by the beast is to be marked by all sorts of things that are the antithesis to the way of the kingdom of God. What about us today? Empires and emperors still exist today, even in the form of nation states. Mostly that's not what we're having to navigate here in New Zealand, mostly. More likely we're navigating a hierarchy of social and internal empires, each calling us to worship and allegiance and devotion, each with their own propaganda, each with their own euangelion, their own gospel good news for us that we need to pay attention to. If you buy the iPhone 13, your life will be so fulfilled. You will fit in culturally with the people. You won't fit in. You'll stand out. You'll be all you could possibly be. Marketing and advertising is a form of propaganda. You haven't already worked that out. Telling us how we can find the good life. Just get this. Just attain this. You'll know the good life. And hopefully we've all been around long enough to know, I got that. And within a week, I wanted the iPhone 14 because I didn't know that was coming out. You should have known that. There's always another one coming. Vocational expectations. Let's start at the bottom ones and work up. These are the kind of empires we're more likely to be navigating. Vocational expectations. The emperor is the boss. Or the emperor is the job itself. Tells you how long you've been a doctor for. Okay, how long? Okay, where are you up to in your career? All right, what have you specialized in? 
Okay, where are other doctors at at this moment? Are you ahead or are you behind? You probably need to work a little bit. There's all this story, this, this propaganda. Oh, you're a builder? How long have you been building for? Are you six years now building for that guy? When do you think you're going to go out on your own? Uh, and you're going to go out on your own? You're going to get some guys working for you? Are you, are you going to do that? You're, probably, you, ooh, you're 45 now. You probably really should have done that by now. And there's these little narratives, these little stories. You just pick your industry, your world that you live in, your career, your, your job, your, ah, you're, you're an at-work mum. Ooh, ooh, you're a stay-home mum. Ooh, ooh, you, you mix it up and work part-time and be stay-home. Ooh, there's all these like stories that come with what is right and wrong and should be and shouldn't be kind of thing, and we get caught up in those. And the emperor becomes the boss or the job, or, or culture. The emperor becomes culture. Culture telling us what we should look like. The, here's the crazy thing with culture. It tells us what we need to do in order to fit in. And here's the things you need to do in order to stand out. It's like, well, hang on, am I fitting in or am I standing out? Well, what am I meant to do? And then that changes the minute you kind of nail it. I think I can fit in now. Oh, no, they've all shifted over there. You're way behind. Oh! But we get caught up in that. And the emperor is the image that we have of ourselves. And do we measure up to the image that we perceive others to have of us? Are we, are we doing it right? We better get this right. Uh, consumerism. Uh, consumerism. If you buy this, if you buy that, then you'll, this will be the good life. This will be the thing. And we, we're, we're worshiping. Apple. We're worshiping whatever it is. Our sense of worth comes from the things we own or whether we fit in enough or stand out enough. There's a hierarchy though. Financial freedom is great empire that we are faced with dealing. Emperor, of course, is money. The good news of the emperor that is money. Peace on earth, I give you. Security. You'll be able to sleep soundly at night. Because earthquakes will never come now that you've got lots of money. Say that to people from Christchurch living in the Hawke's Bay. It's like, I think there's an earthquake history here. Money's got its little, it's little, it's little promises. It's little propaganda. It's little, it's little brochures that are handed out. Oh, this if you if you do this kind of thing. Could be relationships. If you just had a boyfriend, then your life would be complete. If we were just engaged, then my life would probably be complete. And I'd, if we were married, then things would be okay. If we just had kids, then we'd have peace. Get kids. If the kids, kids just moved out of home, then we'd have peace. We, we acknowledge we got that one wrong. <laughs> or if we had grandkids. I wish we had grandkids. It's like, well, you're forever living for the next thing. You're never going to find it. The next thing is like, well, once I die, then I'll have peace. Well, that'll be true. That, you finally got that right. But it took you, took you a while to get there. Um, but there's all these little stories. I think, I've, I think the, the, the number one empire we all face is personal autonomy. And the emperor is ourselves. We want to be the emperor of our own lives. In, in a nutshell, we do not want the will of anyone else, anyone else opposed on us or imposed on us. I want to be free to do what I want when I want to do it, how I want to do it, I don't want anyone telling me what to do. And if I could get to that place, well, I would be free. I would be the emperor of my own life. They're all antichrist, though. All antichrist. Because we're called to lay down our lives at the foot of the cross, to hand our autonomy over to Christ and to accept the rule and reign of Christ in our lives. No longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. You get enough people pursuing each of those, and we've had 
for centuries now, millennia. We have enough people pursuing those. Eventually, they are lifted up to become principalities and powers that we have to navigate. Principalities and powers. Like if only, if only a couple of people worried about money, we would all live free of money and it wouldn't be a real stress. But because we live in a world where for 2,000 years everyone's been worrying about it and everyone around us is worrying about it, now we're, it's elevated to become a principality and power. We need to be set free from that. So easy to find ourselves living in compromise coalition with each of these. That was the challenge to the seven churches. Don't live in compromise coalition. And we might be like, yeah, we're not living in compromise coalition with the Roman Empire. John would be so proud of us. He wouldn't be. He'd be saying, are you living in compromise coalition to any of those? Because those are the empires that are around us that we're navigating, and others, but those are the ones for this morning. Rather be marked by the Spirit, faith, hope, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness. Remain faithful witnesses to the one who is the faithful witness. In a nutshell, this means there is always a beast. There's always propaganda. There's always an antichrist. There's always an empire of some sort or another. There's always challenges to our allegiance to Christ. Always the potential to be marked by the beast. Always the potential to run into trouble for following Jesus. Always the potential for difficulties. Always endings. Which means it's always end times. It's always end times. Because all of those things always exist and have for the last 2,000 years. What we shouldn't be so quick to do is label current events as the end times. To label technology as the mark of the beast. And if you're old enough to grow up, well, I was lucky enough to grow up in the Pentecostal church for the last 40 years. It was credit cards at one stage because they had 666 on them. Barcodes were not good when they came out. Lord, help us when QR codes came out. Ah, they're like barcodes, but they're three-dimensional. It's like, I don't know what to do. Microchips, paywave, vaccines or vaccine passports. They're not. None of them are the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is you yourself marked by an allegiance to false empire. Shouldn't be so quick to label people as the Antichrist. Again, if you're old enough, Henry Kissinger, Mikhail Gorbachev, Ronald Reagan. Kim Kardashian, Ashley Bloomfield, whoever else you want to label. No, no, no. He's not the Antichrist. He's the, uh, whatever he was, the medical guy in charge of things in New Zealand. Antichrist. No, 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 no. That's not, no, no. I read it in the, no, you didn't. You didn't read it in there. It's not in there. All the labeling and predicting is an exercise in missing the point. All of the labeling is an exercise in missing the point. While it might not always be in times, oh, what a, what a, what a, sorry, all an exercise and missing point. The most likely antichrist that each of us are going to encounter is when we look in the mirror. That's the most likely antichrist. Ourselves looking back at ourselves, struggling to try to sit on the throne and then good God, give God a nice little seat on the throne next to us kind of thing, rather than to hop off the throne and let Christ take the whole of the seat on the throne. While it might, not always, be in, while it might always be in times that we take great comfort at the same time that there is always a cross, always a saviour, always Christ coming back to heal and to restore and to mend and to put right. 
Christ will return one day, but Christ returns every day that we make more space for Christ in our lives than we did yesterday, which means it's always end times, but it's always the second coming. It's always the second coming if we're making space for Christ anew in our lives every day. Last slide. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, water of life that's sustaining. It's it's the presence of God that is a picture. It's not literal, but it's true. Clear as crystal. uh, had Had a real, how do you say this? John had a real vision, a real picture, and everything he saw was to tell him truth about the future. It wasn't a real picture of the new Jerusalem will actually be a cube that comes down like on a beam and everything. It's like, no, that's... It's, it's symbolic of truth, not symbolic of what will be literal. But it, the world will literally be sustained by the presence of God, though. That, that's, that's the bit that's true. Flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, it flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. It's not anything to do with COVID-19. It's to do with the healing of the entire cosmos. No longer will there be a curse upon everything. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there and His servants will worship and They will see His face and His name will be written on their foreheads. They'll be marked by their devotion and faithful worship of God. Their their lives will be characterized by devotion and allegiance to God. Not a Jesus tattoo. Faithful allegiance and devotion to God. And there'll be no more night. There'll be no need for lamps or sun for the Lord God will shine on them. No more darkness. No more fear. No more unknown. No more tears. Faith, hope, love, joy will prevail. So when you find yourself confronting the Antichrist and it turns out not to be a politician but you making bad decisions. Ask for the second coming of Christ again. I talk about being born again again. I need to be born again again. And I, every now and then I have these moments, I feel like I'm born again again. I feel like I got born again. It was good, but now I've got born again again. And I'm really, this is, I'm pumped up for this stuff. Sam's getting born again again every day. Like, yeah, he's frothed. Born again again. That's the good news. That's Christian hope. Christian hope is not religious propaganda. The good news of Jesus subverts the religious propaganda calls us into the truth of God's kingdom. Weak being may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. All right, let's stand together and we'll close. I hope that as you journey through Revelation that it has continually been a source of encouragement and delight that it has continually been as you've journeyed through the text that you've felt freer and freer with with every with every sermon that's gone along because revelation is a book that for many people parked and said it's scary full of destruction i don't want to read it it's actually full of life and hope and possibility and invitation when it's properly read so i hope you're feeling freer and freer and lighter and lighter the mark of the beast is not anything to be afraid of. There's no credit card or computer trip coming to get you. It's all right, relax. And then at the same time, oh yeah, it's way worse than that or way more subtle than that. It could be the way that you're living your life in allegiance to false kingdoms. Oh, I need to really pay attention. Yeah, pay attention to that and don't worry about the conspiracy theories. Pay attention to the 
the attitude of your heart and know that every day is an invitation for a second coming of Christ to come and renew and heal again. Lord, we thank you that our Christian hope is not religious propaganda, but the true gospel of Jesus the Christ. We thank you that the good news of the gospel is always better than we've just realized. We thank you for the revelation revealed to John that the evil empires of this world will not not triumph and that the kingdom of God will reign eternal. Thank you for Bay Vineyard Church, for my brothers and sisters in Christ. As they go this morning, may they go knowing that the dwelling place of God will be and is among his people. May they know that he will and he is wiping away every tear from every eye. May they go knowing that there will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things will pass away. And may they go encouraged to be faithful witnesses to the one who is the faithful witness, Jesus Christ. We ask in your name. Amen.